this podcast is proudly supported by CareerFacts. The team at CareerFacts is just as passionate about connecting people with the right course as you are. As Australia's number one careers and course search site, CareerFacts attracts over 12 million visitors a year and have partnered with over 50 leading providers. Want to increase your student enrolments? Head to careerfacts.com.au, your partner in student acquisition. A very short uh, introduction from me today. Uh, I thought I was going to be introducing you to uh, the second part of a two-part discussion on international education. I'm actually pleased to say it's part two of what's going to be a three-part discussion on international uh, ed in Australia. If you haven't listened to part one, I would uh, really recommend that you do so. I was very pleased to sit down with Katie Taylor uh, the Head of Government Engagement at Navitas just a week or so ago. We talked through both a lot of the data that's, uh, you know, on international education, uh, what's happening in different sectors. Katie talked through the, the trends and changes she is seeing. Uh, Navitas, I'm sure you'd be aware of, covers both higher education, university pathways, vocational education and English language here in Australia and uh, and around the world. So that was a very, uh, very good discussion. Uh, part two uh, is uh, Rebecca Hall, the Head of International Education at Austrade. Rebecca had some fantastic insights into what she and the team at Austrade have seen in the last few years in terms of students uh, coming to, looking to come to Australia to study, as well as the efforts of Australian providers offshore, both face-to-face, uh, -face, in partnership uh, and online. Um, and she talks us through the things that uh, providers and others in the sector need to be cognizant of as we look at the future of international education. So that's coming up and also keep an eye out for what will be part three of three. Uh, another fabulous woman with extensive experience in the international education sector, Nicole Bree, who is the PVC International at Macquarie Uni. Nicole and I are sitting down for a chat in another week or so. That'll be in your um, podcast feed shortly, but for now, sit back and enjoy the very interesting insights uh, from Rebecca Hall, Head of International Education at Austrade. Well, it's my very great pleasure, after a lot of diary chaos uh, with a very busy woman uh, to have Rebecca Hall from Austrade join me on this episode of the podcast. Rebecca, thank you so much for rejigging things as much as you have to make the time available. And can I start off, I mean, lots of people know you've got a really senior role at Austrade, but they might not know all about your background in the sector. So, for those who don't know you, can you fill us in and tell us about what you do and, and how you came to the position? Sure. Thanks, Claire, and uh, thank you for your patience. It was uh, a combination of errors and issues, but uh, 
I got the good fortune to listen to the podcast of part A before I've joined you here today. Uh, and yes, I do, uh, I do have the privilege and the pleasure to work for Austrade, Australia's trade and investment agency. And I'm the global lead for international education. And uh, I know uh, many people listening probably work with Austrade in various ways and forms. And uh, the role is, uh, I guess, a recognition of how important international education is to Australia, but also the value of having a global network who can um, connect uh, us uh, as providers and government around the world. Uh, but to the question of tell a bit about me, uh, I fell into international education, as I think many people probably did, uh, after having spent uh, a couple of years uh, after I graduated in my undergraduate in Japan. And uh, I knew after that experience that I wanted to do something that uh, connected people from different cultures, uh, but also where I could make a difference. And so I applied for a job at the Gold Coast City Council. Thought that would be fun. Uh, and so 20 years on, I've been fortunate to work in local to state and now federal government agencies, uh, not always directly in education, but always with an economic development or a industry development um, focus. Uh, Claire, you would know me as well from our time in peak bodies. Uh, I, I really respect the role of peak bodies and how they work with government. So I've got to work with a few peak bodies. And of course, I've had time working in uh, providers in institutions as well. So uh, it does mean that I have seen international education from uh, a range of different perspectives and lenses and have also seen uh, our the highs and the lows and uh, the challenges and the wonderful uh, results that are from uh, this amazing sector. You certainly have got a great uh, lens to look at the sector from with the, the experience that you've had, Rebecca. So can you talk us through some of the trends that you've seen in the sector over the last few years? Mm, absolutely. Um, and I've heard Katie's and your introduction previously, so I will try not to uh, go over old ground. But I think um, whilst we've been seeing overall growth in terms of uh, onshore student numbers, uh, the sense is we've had growth, but it's been uneven. And this has been documented uh, quite well by the commentators in the sector, including the, the NAUS report released last year on that um, uneven growth. We've also seen that, I guess, changing fortunes at the state and territory level, depending on uh, program delivery, uh, in some cases, uh, state-sponsored migration settings and or uh, strategy levels. And a positive side of that trend, though, is we have every state and territory in Australia investing in and behind international education, and not just for its economic value, of course, but for the broader uh, cultural and social value uh, that students bring. So that, that trend, I think the um, I'd refer to that, I guess, as the maturation of, of the sector and the role of uh, government as a partner in, in the sector. Katie mentioned the postgraduate, the change in uh, undergraduate and postgraduate enrolments, and certainly uh, you would expect to see that in terms of our source countries and uh, their investments in, in education at home. But also, I think, and you'll probably know this better than me, AQF uh, changes last time round, uh, changes to masters by coursework and also changes uh, to that. We've seen a huge growth in masters by coursework uh, programs in both public and private providers. Uh, you acknowledged that, that difference in your introduction with uh, uh, public and private vocational 
education that has been an interesting trend. But I guess one of our challenges is every bit of data that we look at and where our most of our investment in data is on that traditional mode of students coming into Australia. So it's actually much harder to see the success or the trends of TAFE delivery in offshore programs or um, online delivery through our institutions or through other providers. Schools as well, um, if we just look at the data uh, in terms of schools and uh, if I use our data here, we are seeing a decline in school enrolments. But again, that's the other example of we're not capturing the broader activity which is being delivered in our schools, whether it's through transnational programs or in fact through a, a very significant component, which is study tours and students on non-student visas as well. Um, we certainly know anecdotally that our footprint uh, in transnational delivery, our uh, great examples of online distance and micro-credentialing programs and Australia's reputation for delivering those has been exceptional. In fact, we, a couple of years ago within Austrade, uh, before I joined, uh, but a great, uh, a great legacy for the team was a big focus on EdTech. So those, those Australian um, companies and providers that are actually uh, helping to build the success of our international education sector, organisations like Practera, like Boodle, Cohort Go, so not just in the uh, delivery side, but also enabling us to uh, to bring the best students uh, and the right students uh, to to Australia. One of the trends has been, and maybe it's not a trend, but an observation, having uh, worked in the sector for uh, more than twenty years, you know, the the awareness of international education uh, within the general population is as high as it's ever been. But we also know that means uh, a flip side as well: the awareness of the community of international education and what that means uh, for us as well. So those trends, I think, mean that we see a bigger focus on community engagement on student experience and on making sure that uh, with the introduction of post-study work right, uh, students of domestic and or international uh, have the skills that they need to be able to apply uh, in, in the workforce. So hopefully that's a, a sense of what we've been seeing. You have been incredibly thorough. Thank you so much. That was really uh, comprehensive and I really appreciate the insights around um, you know, sometimes someone spells it out and you suddenly go, oh, yes, of course, um, the maturation of the sector. Uh, and, and yes, you're also right, obviously, the, the need for improved data on transnational uh, activity. And I know the NCVR have been talking about how they can better match their, their data with the, the data from uh, the Department of Education and the, the, you know, PRISMs and other data. So we look forward to ongoing improvements uh, with that. Mm -hmm. Now... Um, with that as an overview of where the sector currently is at at the moment or has been in the last few years, can you look forward for us and talk us through what you see as some of the potential trends uh, that we'll see in the near future? Sure. Uh, so future future forecasting um, is a yes. very challenging Crystal role. Ball, please. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, in, in preparing for this podcast and by preparing, I mean, you know, going back and having a look at some of my uh, previous presentations and what we've been uh, talking about in, in conferences recently. I think um, we do need to be mindful, and I'm taking a bit of a macro view here, that uh, we are, it's, it's a global market. International education in Australia is influenced by uh, other activities, whether they're in our competitor markets and changes to their 
um, settings which make them more attractive but also in other uh, geopolitical realms. And um, one of the quotes that I have been using consistently since I joined Austrade as well was from Hans de Witt, um, who says we are in a new period of profound instability in international higher education. And so I think looking forward, uh, we need to uh, we need to make sure that we're uh, we're working together, um, industry, government at all levels, uh, and 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 the students, of course, uh, to make sure that we are doing all we can to protect ourselves from some of those changes. Uh, if I look to the to the future and some of the the conversations that are underway now, and the uh, the leadership from uh, from government in uh, policy areas like. Uh, regional dispersal and regional education around quality measures. Um, I'm going to try and explain this. I would look at four C's as the future uh, trends. And most of what we talk about is in the top C, the country. We get stuck on um, diversity of individual country levels. Um, but actually our future and to enable uh, broader diversity, we need to go to much more granular levels and have those conversations around not just uh, diversity of country but diversity of courses. So making sure that, um, you know, we are in fact uh, delivering uh, programs with uh, in a broad range of, of courses. I think you used a stat statistic in your introduction uh, in Part A around percentage of uh, nationalities or countries uh, in our enrolments, uh, we can also look at that from a course perspective and ultimately we want to make sure that uh, we're playing to our strengths, that we are uh, delivering great programs, but also that there is diversity in courses. Uh, the third C is around cities, uh, and I use cities, although, uh, you know, in our um, language here in government policy, we're focused on regional Australia. Uh, and, of course, Austrade's role in promoting international education is focused on all of Australia. Uh, and so we're looking at cities and how we can um, engage uh, across and, and, and ensure diversity across our cities. And then my final C is around our campus, and it goes back to a bit of my previous trends where we don't have the data necessarily, but actually uh, changing our mindset around what, what the delivery of education looks like, where it needs to be done, uh, what we value in terms of online uh, versus face-to-face -face blended programs. So uh, I think it's going to be a combination of, of those. Uh, and I'm going to continue the C, um, <laughs> the C methodology and point to, I think, what are four barriers or challenges that are going to um, perhaps uh, impact that. Uh, and the first is, is community. We need to make sure that uh, international education is uh, maintain social licence and that we are delivering great value for our uh, international students and international partners but also for our community. Uh, we do need to look at cost, uh, cost of international education uh, in any uh, destination and cost is still a big factor for students and, and parents uh, and not just of our tuition but also cost of living. Um, Ultimately, competition. Uh, we know that any changes with our competitors or maintaining our competitive status uh, can uh, can impact any of those. And then the final C, I think, is really the channels, and that's how we are um, how we are connecting with partners. Uh, we know the statistic is used uh, quite a bit. Seventy four percent of international students coming to Australia are using a agent channel. 
now, this is not about uh, one channel better than the other, but how are we going to uh, work through uh, with those partners to be able to uh, shift uh, international education and to be able to sustain international education. Um, I could give a final plug here about the Nation brand as well, which is uh, a big piece of work that Austrade is leading on behalf of uh, the Australian government. And I think I uh, put this in what my future forecast looks like because I do think, um, you know, reputation and brand are so important to what we um what we're doing in international education and it is a partnership between government and institutions around that and I personally am uh, pretty excited about what uh, the future might look like under um, a, a new way of working through a nation brand. Fantastic. So we've got uh, eight C's in essence uh, that we need to be thinking about and that are going to impact on our future um, and uh, something to look forward to in terms of the work uh, that you're, you're giving us a, a signal on around a, a new national brand. That sounds uh, fantastic and as, as ever, uh, I would add a, an additional C and that is you've been incredibly <laughs> comprehensive. So thank you. That's, that's really helpful for us to, to have it in our thoughts as we look to the future. And I guess my final um, question relates to a, a, a piece of work that I was lucky enough to have a very small part of um, contributing to um, a few years ago, and, and that was AIE 2025. And I wonder how that's going, uh, where things are up to, and any other initiatives that you wanted to talk about and and let people you know know that Austrade is is working on. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Claire. That does feel like a lifetime ago, doesn't it, uh, the development of sure AIE 2025? Uh, and I was also a participant. Uh, I was working for Victorian government at the time, and um, I certainly know uh, through the engagement with sector stakeholders that it was uh, really welcomed as a very different way of uh, creating, we're going to keep going on these C's now, uh, creating a collaborative model or a co-creation uh, approach to what the future of international education could or should look like. Uh, as you know, I've been fortunate to be in Austria just over a year now and uh, we are coming to a midway point in terms of the strategy's uh, life cycle and uh, we will be and have been uh, looking at some of the aspirations uh, articulated in uh, in the document. Uh, we also acknowledge, though, of course, the the work uh, and the uh, the parallel connection to the national strategy for international education, which our colleagues in Department of Education lead, and also the work of the National Council as well. So, uh, I think uh, you know, for uh, for government strategy is really important uh, for providers and uh, clients. Uh, I think action also speaks louder than words. So uh, some of the actions that we've been focused on have been around uh, the edtech uh, industry that I mentioned and working with a great range of edtech providers to continue to support them. Uh, the, the nation brand itself is is delivering on uh, parts of the aspirations of, of AIE 2025. Uh, but really, uh, for us, I think it is about uh, how we're meeting the market. The market has changed quite significantly since 
AIE 2025 was uh, was articulated. And so we really just want to check in to make sure that um, we are doing all we can do to uh, to support and steward the sector. And um, I'm not sure everyone will remember it, but uh, the, the strategy document is on our website, of course. But I think um, the culture of success and the uh, the pillars that we spoke about there do not change in terms of uh, we, we absolutely are going to have to collaborate uh, in order to uh, affect change. Uh, we need to continue to innovate. Uh, we need to be ahead of the curve and anticipate uh, changes that are coming through. And we do need to have that level of reciprocity that uh, this isn't just about Australia um, and our needs. It is about how we're uh, playing a broader role uh, globally uh, in terms of Australia's education offering, and ultimately, of course, our graduates and alumni who are who are back around the world, 2.5 million of them, or certainly more now, I think, since we last did that count, uh, and what impact they're having. So I just realised, though, that was a terribly long answer, and um, perhaps I could say to your, uh, we could invite to the listeners to uh, make sure that they're subscribed to our uh, market information package weekly email and our other channels so they can hear more about what we're, uh, what we're doing and also can help us uh, co-create uh, the next stage of uh, implementing that strategy. Fantastic. And what I was thinking as you were um, talking, Rebecca, is I'll add in uh, in the show notes for anyone yeah. who, I mean, they can easily Google them and, and find the Austrade uh, website and the international education part of it. But if anyone wants a specific link uh, to both the market information package, also known as the MIP, um, and to the AIE 2025 document, um, I'll include those in the in the show notes. So uh, thank you very, very much for a really uh, terrific overview of where we're up to and some insights into Austrade's thinking and government's thinking more broadly um, about where the sector might be headed and, and how government intends to, to support that. Um, it's been hugely interesting for me and I'm sure everyone else will have got a lot out of it. So thank you very much for, for making the time. Thanks, Claire. Pleasure. So, what did you think? Did you find it as useful as I did? Did the eight C's uh, help make sense for you of where the future of international education uh, is heading and particularly the things that you need to be thinking about? Um, I certainly found them a very useful uh, a framework uh, to, to be drawing on um, and certainly keen to keep an eye on the, the nation brand that Austrade is, is building on. Um, if you are looking for the hyperlinks, you'll find them in the notes for this episode. Um, don't forget to rate and review us. Uh, it not only helps people find us, you might want to give feedback as to whether you like this part one of two or three um, or if you're, you're happier to have things in a in a usual sequence um, let us know what what it is that you think if you want other forums to share your ideas uh, you'll find me on twitter that's at cfield and associates i'm on linkedin 
And you can also find Clearfield and Associates on Facebook. Uh, it's been great fun for me bringing this episode to you, as, as it always is. And I'm very much looking forward to sitting down with Nicole Brigg from Macquarie University shortly. Um, and that will round out this conversation on international education from some key players in the sector. Thank you again for joining me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector.